Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, um, oh, what did I do this week? Oh, I had to tell you guys about something fun me and my mom did this week. So, uh, for me, it's the start of March break. And, um, recently my mom and I have been getting into, like, dystopian, like, apocalypse disaster movies. You know, like, earthquakes and, like, climate change and meteors and shit. I don't know why. We've just (laughs) decided to get really into these movies. So, we've been doing, like, copious marathons of like apocalypse disaster movies and uh we've been mostly trying to watch stuff we've never seen so like uh last night we watched this uh, new one on amazon prime called greenland it's about like a meteor heading to earth it was really good it's got gerard butler in it my mom loves gerard butler so <laughs> we really ended up liking that one um let's see what else did we watched we also watched both independence day movies because i've never seen independence day not the first one or the second one so i watched it I love Will Smith in the first one, so <laughs> that was good. And, uh, you know, I liked the second one, but it turns out a lot of other people didn't, which surprised me because I thought it was really good. But, you know, a lot of people don't really like remakes or, like, modern sequels or anything, but I I do. So I really enjoyed it, and I'm upset that there's not going to be a third one because apparently it didn't do so good in the box office in 2016. So that sucks. Uh, what else did we watch? We also watched The Day After Tomorrow, which I've never seen. Uh, it's got, doesn't it got Dennis Quaid? Yeah, Dennis Quaid is the name of the guy. Um, in it. And it's also got Jake Gyllenhaal, which was a great surprise, because I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Especially 2004 Jake Gyllenhaal, because he was 25 and really cute. Not that he's not cute now, or anything. But, like, he was very cute in 2004. I very much enjoyed the day after tomorrow. Um, so that's been me and my mom's apocalypse movie, movie marathon. Alright, enough about me. Let's get into the topic at hand. Today we are discussing Jane Seymour. Now I just gotta give a quick shout out to Angela. She got the clue right for this week. I posted a picture of Jane's like uh, queenly badge and I was like, who do you think we're doing this week? And Angela got it right. So good job, Angela. Now uh, you've probably heard of Jane Seymour before. Most likely she was the third wife of Henry VIII. Uh, For reference, before you start this episode, you might want to go back and listen to the Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn episodes. I mean, I'll explain some of the backstory around that, but this is Jane's episode, so I don't want to spend too long on all of that backstory that really has nothing to do with her. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. Let's get into it. Okay, so Jane Seymour was born, probably, uh, in 1504, 1508, around that area, um, in at Wolf Hall in Wiltshire. Wiltshire. Wiltshire? Wiltshire. Okay. <laughs> England to uh, Sir John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth. Now, once again, like uh, Anne Boleyn, we're not exactly sure when Jane would have been born because a lot of families did not record birthdays, especially those of women. Uh, after all, you know, no one really thought it was going to be important, uh, which is super fucking dumb. Um, personally, I think anywhere in between those dates works because most of her brother's birth years, we do know, we just don't know their exact birthdays. And if she was born after the her two oldest brothers, and uh, her other brother was born after her. I think it fits best, but uh, I'm, I don't know. Don't quote me on it. I'm not a real historian, but you're not here for, like, professionalism, are you? Um, 
Okay, before we get into Jane's life, uh, let's get to know her family first. Now, let's start with the Seymour name. Now, the Seymours actually had royal blood in them. They were actually the direct descendants of Lionel of Antwerp, who was one of uh, the sons of King Edward III, who was king uh, all the way back in the 14th century. So they were an old family. And uh, even before that, uh, the Seymours originally came from France. And their last name used to be uh, Saint Maur, uh, like Saint M-A-U-R. But obviously, the English wasn't going to pronounce that properly. <laughs> so that's probably why they ended up changing it to Seymour, as in S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Don't. <laughs> I'm not good at spelling. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, now that we know a bit of a background in her family, let's talk about her mama and dad. Now, her parents were Sir John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth. Um, her dad, John, he was fairly middle-of-the-road nobility, a bit like uh, Anne Boleyn. Uh, Henry VII had actually knighted him for his handling of the Cornish rebels, which was a huge honor. It's not every day you get knighted. Um, now, John held various offices when he was a young man, which made him uh, very attractive on the marriage market, you know, as... It does. Um, and he pretty much scored in terms of marriage with Marjorie Wentworth. She was apparently an absolute fucking hottie. <laughs> she was apparently so hot that someone wrote poems about how hot Marjorie Wentworth was, which is so cool. There was this dude named John Skeleton who thought Marjorie was so hot. He's the guy who wrote the poems. And he, he wrote all these ridiculous poems about how hot Marjorie Wentworth was. That's honestly a vibe. I want to be so pretty that people like have to hear about it for like 500 years like that's the that's the vibe <laughs> i want anyway um marjorie actually did come from a good family too she was well connected to tons of noble families including a certain young lady named elizabeth who would go on to be wait for it anne boleyn's mom <gasps> that's right anne jane related this to be honest, this isn't really totally shocking. I tried to make it more shocking than it was. A lot of nobility intermarried at the time, and it wasn't really weird that they were related. I believe, like, three of Henry VIII's wives were closely related. I believe that was Jane, Anne, and uh, the other... Catherine Howard. Yeah, I think. And maybe Catherine Parr, too. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it was pretty much really fucking difficult back then to find someone who you weren't related to in the English nobility when you were English nobility. All right. Now, let's talk about Jane's childhood. Uh, we don't really know too much about her early childhood, but we can make some educated guesses based on the research I did. Uh, now, she obviously grew up very, very privileged at Wolf Hall. Uh, she definitely had a silver spoon in her mouth probably most of her life. Um, also, I bet her house was, like, really loud because she had a huge family. She was one of, like, nine siblings, although only four of her siblings ended up surviving into adulthood, which averages out to about five. I'm sure that must have been tough, you know, losing a lot of siblings. Um, as far as I'm aware, her parents seemed like really good people, and she probably had a really good childhood. Uh, but in terms of education, which I usually value on this show, because, you know, educated women tend to do a lot better in life because you know education's good um her education was kind of um Anne Boleyn's unlike Anne Boleyn's parents uh John and Marjorie didn't exactly pride themselves on educating their daughter super well uh she definitely knew how to read and write which is okay enough um by those standards by those days standards yeah sorry guys <laughs> um she 
she could sign her name. I'm not sure if she can really write any more than that, but, like, uh. uh She definitely had a decent religious education, but her real talents were, like, more domestic. Like, she was educated, like, how most women had been educated for a couple hundred years at this point. Uh, she was fantastic at needlepoint and household management, which was good for her because that's something women still had to know. Um, I did read one of her favorite hobbies was hunting, so there's something a bit different than I was expecting, but other than that, pretty normal. Um, still, I imagine she got to go to court, uh, sorry, let me restart that. So, I imagine when she got to court around, like, all these other, like, beautiful accomplishment women, she probably felt, like, a little inadequate, because, like, as I've talked about in this time period, educating women was, like, really in vogue, <laughs> and clearly her parents, like, didn't get the memo on that, like, at all, um, and, to be honest, I don't really think they expected much of her. I think they just expected her to be a good wife. And here's why I think this for a couple of reasons. Um, one, they probably didn't think she would end up being nearly as important as she ended up being. I mean, who could have predicted anything that would have happened with Henry VIII? And also, uh, she might not have been that pretty. I don't want to rag on her because we're like, we don't really know. As as I've said before, everyone is different taste, beauty is in the eye of, of the beholder. Hey, she might not have been the English court's cup of tea like Anne Boleyn was. Um, but I'll let you guys judge based on uh, what we know and we'll see if uh, Jane's parents were right in the fact that they didn't think she was like going to do very well because she wasn't very pretty. Um, now, what we know is unfortunately mostly negative. Um, here are some quotes from the ambassadors who met her. Um, the Spanish ambassador Chapuis, uh, who's like the gossip girl of <laughs> this time period, found her to be of middle stature and no great beauty. Um, also, it's mentioned several times by others that uh, her beautiful pale complexion was not enough to offset her large nose, small eyes, and compressed lips, which is kind of rude. Um, I also read that she was a blonde, but like like a really like pale blonde, which is cool. I used to have the same hair color, so like twinsies. Um, of her temperament, people were like, oh, she was very, very, like, timid, and a lot of times she's compared to Henry VIII's mother, Elizabeth of York, which makes sense. They were very similar people, and uh, it's probably one of the many reasons she's so ignored among Henry's wives, because she's just kind of, like, meh. I don't mean that in a mean way, of course. Um, it's, like, similar to Elizabeth of York, who was, you know, basically educated, and she was just kind of, like, vanilla, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why I covered Elizabeth in my first episode, because I think she's cool. Even if she, like, wasn't the most exciting person, she was still sweet and kind, and that's what Jane was like. Um, like, historians like to focus on the more interesting ones. I think that's why Jane doesn't really get a lot of attention, and she also didn't get a lot of attention in her life, and that's probably why she's considered uh, the least interesting wife wife, but I wanted to do her because I think she is super interesting, so uh, I guess I have to say fuck off, Chapuis? <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. Okay, so quick story that I found super interesting before we move into the Henry stuff. Are you guys ready? Alright. Um, so as I mentioned before, Jane grew up in like a pretty large family for the time. I mean, five kids is a lot. And she happened to have uh, an older brother named Edward who was married to this lady named Catherine Phillill. 
I believe it's pronounced like that. It's spelled F-I-L-L-O-L. So I imagine Philol is the correct pronunciation. Anyway, uh, Catherine Philol was an heiress. And uh, she and Edward had had two sons. You know, they were a relatively happy marriage. But a few years later, for some random reason, Edward just like randomly had it in his head that his wife had been cheating on him with, wait for it, his his dad. <laughs> That's some family drama. Now, we're not 100% sure how true this is because it was, like, never proven, but Edward just, like, totally accused his wife of it. But it's, like, a little suspicious that, like, after he accused Catherine of this, she, like, got out of there and, like, retired to a nunnery and, like, was, like, sent away. And eventually, a couple years later, when Catherine's very, very rich father died, um... Catherine, she was still on the will, because obviously that was his daughter. He was going to leave his daughter the land and money that she was owed. And um, instead of Catherine getting it, Edward was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't give her the money. Uh, and he he came up with this, like, uh, excuse that his father-in-law was, like, not of sound mind when he wrote this. So he was like, hey, give me the money and lands. And believe it or not, it fucking works. <laughs> And so, instead of Catherine getting her an inheritance, uh, Edward, who had actually been remarried at this point, uh, gave this stuff to his other children that he'd had with his second wife and, like, completely left his first two sons out of the will, which, oddly enough, didn't piss off either of his first two sons, which would... Which is weird, because, like, it would piss me off if my dad had, like, basically robbed me of my inheritance, uh, whether or not that story was true or not. So, like, that's crazy. And they, like, his sons remained, like, fairly loyal to him for the rest of his life, which I wouldn't, because that was a dick move. Basically, uh, the point of this story is that I imagine Jane was, like, probably, like, really rocked by this incident. Like, that's a huge scandal to go through in your family, like, when you're that young. And I honestly think this explains, well, like, why she wasn't, like, that big of a star at court, like, uh, some other members of her family was. I mean, she had literally watched her brother go through, like, one of the biggest scandals he could probably have <laughs> at that time period. So, in her head, I bet she was like, okay, let's just, you know, like, fly under the radar at court. Like, don't really draw any attention to myself. And, you know, that's pretty much what she did for most of her time at court. Now, by 1527 or 1528, we're not really sure, uh, Jane's brothers were, like, they were some of the biggest fucking superstars at the English court, and this was really good for Jane, because, you know, she needed to be socialized and introduced in society so she could get married and have a whole bunch of little babies. <laughs> so her brother Edward got her, like, a sweet fucking first job as maid of honor to Queen Catherine of Aragon, which was, like I said, pretty sweet first job for someone so young. Um, generally, what maid, maids of honor did is they hung out with the queen, fetched letters for her, and any other tasks that they were given. Uh, maids of honor, they're, like, a little different than ladies-in-waiting. Uh, ladies-in-waiting were, like, above maids of honor and rank in court, but, like, even so, it was, like, still a pretty sweet position. Like, it was by no means, like, being a maid or anything. Like, still great um as a young woman at court you know your job was to meet a nice man and get married and stuff but jane was not exactly the belle of the ball like i said before uh basically from what i read it seemed like most people liked her but she was no anne boleyn because no one was anne boleyn <laughs> jane wasn't quick-witted she was really that charming she never really got invited to like big dances because no one really wanted to take her, which sucks. Most people really never took a second look at her when they saw her. She just wasn't that stunning intellectually or in looks, basically. And then suddenly a couple years went by at court and she was in her mid-twenties, which was like fucking ancient 
<laughs> as a woman back then. Uh, and she was probably starting to panic. And especially when her little sister Elizabeth got married before her, which usually doesn't happen. It's usually oldest sister first. Now, some people think that uh, her little sister Elizabeth got married first uh, was because Jane was ugly, which is rude. Or that her father couldn't afford a dowry, which is dumb because he would have been able to afford it for his younger daughter. So why didn't he spend it on Jane first? Like, we don't really know why. Like, no one was, wasn't, like picking up what she was putting down um but there's a shining beacon coming in the form of a man named william dormer with who jane may or may not have had a short courtship with now we don't really know much about it apparently jane's cousin this dude named francis bryan had wanted to set them up because he thought they'd be a really good match and uh, I totally agree with Francis Bryan. He probably would have been a really good match for William. He was an only child. He was set to inherit a pretty decent estate. But as the story story goes, apparently William's mom had like a problem with Jane's cousin Francis. She basically thought he was a total man whore, which was like totally accurate. He cheated on his wife all the time. Like, total slut. Uh, actually, speaking of his wife, you guys remember in the in my Amberlynn episode when I talked about that guy, James Butler, who Anne was engaged to? And then, you know, they got unengaged for, like, unknown reasons. Well, after they got unengaged, James Butler actually uh, married this woman named Joan Fitzgerald. And Francis Bryan, he was also married to her after James Butler died, which is, like, a crazy coincidence. It's not really relevant. I just thought it was really cool. Uh, distant connection. Uh, anyway, <laughs> back to William Dormer. Uh, William's mom thought Francis's infidelities uh, as a cousin of Jane reflected poorly on her. So she did not think uh, that they would be a good match. She also didn't think Jane was nearly good enough for her only son. Uh, I'm sure if she had had, like, other sons, like, it would have been, like, fine. But uh, because of that, the relationship never continued. And, you know, Jane moved on with her life, which must have sucked because, like, it, she could have gotten married, like, fairly young. And it was probably, like... She was probably, like, kicking herself, wondering why she couldn't get a date. <laughs> you know, I, I would have, I would pay to have seen the look on Lady Dormer's face when Jane ended up marrying the King of England. I bet it was hilarious when she found out, because, like, that would have been fucking funny. Okay, so by the late 1520s, like, a couple years after Jane had got there, it was pretty fucking obvious that Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII's marriage was pretty much over. Um, Henry was already trying to get a divorce, which, you know, I won't get into. You can listen to the Catherine of Aragon episode for all that legal crap. I'm not going to explain it again. Um, now, I imagine Jane was, like, really conflicted during this time since Jane and Catherine, they were very similar people, and Jane worked for her. She wanted to be on Catherine's side, I'm sure. Um, her and Catherine got along well, and, um, really liked her family, uh, and Jane's family was pretty much on Catherine's side, so, like, obviously she didn't want to straight from that. So she was probably like, whoa, this divorce is not right. Catherine is a nice lady. She doesn't deserve this. But there wasn't really much she could do since in 1533, uh, Henry VIII broke with the church so that he could divorce Catherine and marry Anne as quickly as possible so he could have that little male heir he wanted. Now, I'm sure if Jane had had the option, she probably would have liked to stay on Catherine's staff because, like I said, she really liked Catherine. Uh, but she didn't really have a choice, and she was instantly put into the service of Anne Boleyn, which must have been pretty jarring since Anne and Jane were fundamentally very, very different women in a lot of aspects. Um, 
with Catherine of Aragon, you know, she was strong and powerful, but, you know, she knew how to, like, take a backseat to Henry when it was necessary. But then you had Anne with her charm and wit and her very big mouth that we've discussed before. And that big mouth said things without thinking, which Catherine would never do. And then there's Jane, who was pious and kind and had more of a hidden strength that you'd not really expect her to have if you did not know her very well. Um, which is, you know... <laughs> Like I said, very different people. Um, we don't really know what Anne and Jane thought of one another in these early years, since Anne had probably, like, never noticed Jane until it was, like, already too late. Uh, still, I imagine Jane and her family liked Catherine of Aragon so much, and Jane probably had a very negative and biased view of Anne, which, you know, obviously we've talked about Anne does not deserve uh, all the negative uh, press <laughs> that she gets. Henry was going to replace Catherine of Aragon, like, no matter what at that point it was just kind of a matter of Anne being there first but I'm, I'm sure Jane didn't know that and like I, I I don't think she wanted to be like intentionally mean to her but like she really liked Catherine of Aragon and like she was probably upset that Anne had replaced Catherine she probably had a little bit of a unsolicited vendetta against her which you know wasn't her fault at all now, in 1535, King Henry and Anne Boleyn did a summer progress. Uh, let me explain to you what a summer progress is. So basically, basically went couch surfing for the summer, uh, staying at like noblemen's houses while the servants stayed back at the palace and cleaned it out because it was probably gross. Um, and one of the places they stopped on this tour was Wolf Hall, which was Jane's house. And this was like a huge honor for their family to have the king stay at your house. It was pretty awesome. But it was also kind of a risky move, because when a king comes to your home, it's not just him. It's the whole damn court, which means you're feeding upwards of, like, 500 people and housing them all on your lands, which is a lot of hard work, work and so much money. You know, families could go completely bankrupt while having the king stay at their home, but luckily, uh, Jane's brothers and father were racking in decent money, so they never did go bankrupt from this visit, so good for them. Now, uh, Wolf Hall is where many people believe Henry first noticed Jane, which, you know, could totally be true if he did notice her at all on the trip. Uh, he might not have been looking at her in, like, a wife way, but more of a mistress way, because, you know, Henry hadn't fallen out of love with Anne yet, but, you know, don't quote me on this. Um, <laughs> after all, I don't remember all the episodes I do. It's been a while since I've done the Anne one, so I can't really remember, but I'm pretty sure Anne was in the early stages of her last pregnancy, so, like, I, I doubt Henry was looking at replacing Anne yet at this time. It was, you know, just him being a little hoe, <laughs> as we all know he was. Anyway, um, I'm sure Jane had, like, lots of fun on the summer progress, especially at her parents' house. After all, you know, this was her turf. Um, um, but I don't really think she knew that her life was gonna change more dramatically in the next couple of months than, e than even I think she realized. Now, uh, before we dive into Henry and Jane's courtship, I just want to say I am not gonna re-explain who Henry was, because most of you guys know who he is, and if you don't, just listen to Catherine of Aragon's episodes and maybe Amberlynn episodes. I do a pretty good job there. I don't really think we need to talk about who Henry was as a person. All right. That's the disclaimer. All right. Back to the story. Now, in 1536, a few different events coincided at the same time. So first, Catherine of Aragon died in January of that year. So, you know, Henry was pretty excited that he didn't have to go to war with his nephew over that. Um, and Anne was also pregnant. So, woo, he was winning until he wasn't because it all went to shit pretty fast after that. 
Um, Henry fell off his horse while jousting, and he was, uh, I don't think he was knocked out for hours. I've heard two stories. I've heard that he was, like, conscious, but, like, he was, like, really hurt, but I've also heard he was knocked out for hours. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, everyone thought he was, like, gonna die, but luckily he ended up recovering, and, like, not long after this, uh, Henry started courting Jane, even though Anne was pregnant, but as I said, he probably wanted her in a mistress capacity in the first place place um and while they were like while henry was flirting with her he basically like flipped through his playbook because he did the exact same shit he did with anne when they were courting that he did with jane and henry had no other technique with flirting with women other than his one playbook you know henry flirted with jane at balls and uh she played kind of, like, hard to get by remaining, like, respectful and honorable. Uh, she took some of his gifts, and one time he sent her this, like, bag of gold coins, and clearly at this point, uh, from watching how Anne Boleyn had caught Henry, uh, she did something that Anne did. She got this bag of gold coins, and she sent it back, and with a response that said, I would rather die a thousand times, uh, than tarnish my honor, which is, very, very Anne Boleyn. She's Anne Boleyning Henry. And Henry was very impressed with her, uh, kind of, like, resolve to remain her, no, protect her virtue. He, he thought it was really cool that she was being, like, all honorable, and he was probably also a bit turned on, so he kept pursuing her. Now, uh, Anne totally knew about Henry and Jane, but she, like, you know, tried to not let it bother her as much as it probably was until the top of the cork burst on her patience um henry gave jane this like gorgeous handmade locket with his picture in it which henry had also done with anne as i said he has no creativity in wooing women he just does one thing and it works every time anyway uh when jane got this locket instead of like returning it as uh, she wore the necklace around and in front of anne boleyn almost flaunting it her in her face and you know like i said before jane does have this demure reputation but i am of the opinion that jane knew exactly what she was fucking doing by like wearing that locket in front of anne and she was probably actually really enjoying the attention from henry after all you know a queen had been replaced before why couldn't it happen again you never know i don't really know if she actually felt that but like maybe um anyway so jane had this locket and Anne noticed it and, like, basically, like, asked her to come over. And Anne grabbed the locket while it was still on Jane's neck, opened it, and saw Henry's picture and, like, totally fucking flipped out. So she yanked the locket off Jane's neck, which hurt Jane's neck and also made Anne's hand bleed because it's really hard to get solid metal necklaces off people's necks by yanking them off. Uh, and I can't imagine how much it must have, like, freaked out Jane a little bit because, like, that would scare me. Um, I bet she was not expecting that kind of reaction. You know, if this was Catherine of Aragon, like, she, Catherine of Aragon would have been a little more subtle, um, about it. Um, now one of the worst incidences between both Anne and Jane was when Anne walked in on Jane sitting on Henry's lap, and oh my god, Henry, oh my god, Anne fucking flipped her shit. She was not happy, as of course you would be if a girl was sitting on your husband's lap. Uh, but it caused Anne's, like, kind of final downfall since, like, not long after that. And on the same day Catherine of Aragon's funeral happened, Anne suffered a miscarriage. And, like, after that, Henry was just looking to get rid of her. Like, he did not have time for this shit anymore. It was time for Anne's fall and Jane's time to rise. Woo.
you know, I think I'm very creative with uh, how I title each sections of the script I write because I decided to name this section Rise of the Phoenix because, you know, Jane's badge was a phoenix and I just think I'm so funny, don't I? <laughs> anyway, let's not talk about that. So, back in the story. Um, not too long after Anne's Boleyn's miscarriage, uh, Henry had Jane and her family moved into these very fancy apartments right next to his, which was huge. He'd done this with Anne Boleyn. Now, the Seymours were moving up, and suddenly the atmosphere of power shifted towards their family at the snap of Henry's finger. Now, I'm not going to talk about Anne Boleyn's, like, trial and, like, most of her downfall, because there's not much to say, because Jane wasn't there. She had no part in it. Uh, I talk about it in my Anne uh, episodes, uh, and because it happened so fast, there's really not much to talk about anyways here, so... We're just gonna leave that. Just listen to Anne Boleyn, the Anne Boleyn episodes, if you really want to hear about it. Now, during the trial, uh, Jane was sent away to, like, protect her reputation, which, you know, as I recall, Henry also did the same thing with Anne during the divorce proceedings. Wow, he's not even original when he's divorcing a wife. And I'm pretty sure Jane, like, you know, sitting in the country estate that she'd been sent to while the trial was going on, he, she probably just thought, oh, you know, he's just going to divorce Anne and, like, send her away to a nunnery or something. Uh, but as we know, that is not what happened. Because uh, not too long after, Jane and her family got word that Anne Boleyn had been executed. And I'm sure at this point, Jane was like, swings. <laughs> Because uh, the man she was uh, going to marry very soon uh, had just had his ex-wife murdered. And, you know, Jane was not a malicious person as far as I know. And, you know, sure, she didn't like Anne very much. But, God, she didn't want her dead. Oh, my God. If I were her, I would have, like, packed my bags and ran and be like, yeah, sorry, engagement over. But she couldn't really just be like, yeah, I don't really want to marry you anymore, Henry, because you're a murderer. Um, Jane basically had no choice at this point. She was a little too far deep for her to say no. Because uh, the next day after Anne Boleyn was killed, Jane and Henry were officially engaged. Aged. Yikes. Um, and less than two weeks after Anne's execution, Jane and Henry got married in a super low-key ceremony on May 30th, 1536 at Whitehall Palace. And a few days later, Jane was officially named as queen, which I'm pretty sure everyone looked at their watches, which I'm sure they had. <laughs> We're like, wow, new record. I wonder how long Jane is going to last. Spoiler alert, it's not very long, but it's not really her fault either. Um, also, I gotta mention that uh, as Queen, you know, she took this took a symbol and words as uh, Anne Boleyn and Catherine of Aragon had done before her. And they were very symbolic. So, as I mentioned before, her symbol was a phoenix, which is, you know, very hint, hint, nudge, nudge to uh, her rise. And her words were bound to serve and obey. I think this was kind of like about her re rebranding herself after Anne Boleyn, which I will get into, but first, I want to talk about Jane and Henry's relationship as spouses. Now, I find that each of Henry's marriages and relationship with that specific wife are all, like, very unique. Like, he all had, like, different relationships with all of them. Um, you know, with Catherine of Aragon, you know, they were madly in love when they were very young until Henry's, like, desire to have a son, like, tore them apart because his daughter wasn't good enough. Uh, with Anne Boleyn, the relationship was, like, lustful and passionate, but, you know, Anne couldn't do the thing he had torn his country apart 
a port. <laughs> I'm sorry, a part for. So he ended up turning on her too. Uh, but Jane is a different case, and the only reason she and Henry are reported to have a good marriage is, you know, because she gave him a son on the first try and died doing it. Spoiler alert, that happens. Now, I'm not saying Henry was not in love with her in some part of his, like, mentally messed up fucking head. Uh, still, that love had conditions, and he wanted Jane to be a lot like his mother. Uh, silent and to start making airs. He was basically at this point fucking tired of outspoken smart women. And that's why Jane was completely the perfect wife for him. She was restrained, pious, and kind, not to mention from a very large family, so the chance of tons of kids was super high. Uh, basically, Henry was holding his affection hostage, and in my opinion, their marriage was probably, like, fairly toxic and controlling. To like a certain point, and I'm sure Jane hated that because I'm sure she wanted like a loving and respectful marriage because her parents had had something along those lines. Hold on, let me take a drink. God, <laughs> God, my mouth gets so dry talking to you guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, while we're here, let's talk about Jane's short time as queen because I don't really think that gets uh, covered a lot when people talk about her. Now, I have to mention first that Jane was never officially crowned as Queen of England. She never had a coron baller coronation like Anne Boleyn had. Now, some people think it was because Henry was waiting to see if Jane could prove her worth and give him a son first, which is, you know, totally valid coming from Henry. Uh, but also, at the same time, there was a plague in London, and it probably would have been very insensitive, not to mention very dangerous, for them to have a coronation while people were sick, and one of them getting sick would have been awful. Now, one of the first things Jane did as queen was to rebrand herself as different from Anne Boleyn. She quite literally scrubbed herself queen of all... Clean? I meant... I'm sorry, I meant clean. <laughs> Why can't I talk today? Jesus. Uh, basically, she tried to be the opposite of Anne in all aspects. Her household and her ladies were well-known for their virtue and honor. That was a big thing with her. Jane was strict about no wild parties and that, that everyone be respectful and pious, uh, which I know sounds boring, but she was just basically trying to tread carefully on here. She was basically walking on the thinnest ice ever. Uh, she also famously banned a lot of French fashion since it was so closely associated with Anne Boleyn. Uh, she was more on the side of English fashion. She brought the English gable hood back into fashion uh, rather than the French hood that Anne Boleyn made fashionable. The English gable was kind of like this like boxy headpiece that women would wear, but the French hood was like pulled back and you could see like a little part of your hair, which is like considered really scandalous. So Jane was like, no, let's bring back the English hood, which is like kind of ugly and stuff, but like. Yeah, um, but one of the things I admire most about Jane is that she got Henry to reconcile with his daughter from Catherine of Aragon, Princess Mary. Now, Henry had been basically treating her like shit for the past few years, and Jane, you know, felt terrible and wanted to make it right, so she basically begged Henry to make up with her. And Henry said, and I quote, this is very scary, you would do better to study the welfare and ex exaltation of your own children than to look out for the good of others. Basically, what Henry is saying is, don't insert yourself into this and concern yourself with having our children. Which is 
a threat. Um, however, despite this, she continued, and when Mary officially agreed to sign documents admitting her parents' marriage was illegal and that Henry was the head of the Supreme Church of England, he decided to eventually invite little, well, not little Mary, I'm sure she, she was like a teenager by now, uh, back at court. And they had a pretty emotional reunion, which I, you know, you didn't really expect considering Henry was so mean to her over the last couple of years. Um, I also have to mention that same Spanish ambassador, at the same time that Princess Mary was welcomed back into court, uh, he kind of, like, changed his tune <laughs> towards Jane. He started calling her a peacemaker, which is, you know, a little suspicious. It's probably because he was a Spanish ambassador, Catherine of Aragon was a Spanish princess, and the minute Catherine of Aragon's daughter got let back at court, he suddenly changed his tune about Jane, so, like, I'm not saying that... He could be bought off pretty easily, but he was very easy to impress, apparently. Now, that uh, summer that they were, the first summer that they were married, like, it couldn't, couldn't have been better. Her family was moving up, as her brothers had been given new titles and new offices, you know, money and land, and surprise, Jane was preggers, which was really great, but then it wasn't, because <laughs> nothing lasts with Henry. Uh, she ended up miscarrying pretty early in her first pregnancy, and I imagine she was, like, totally freaking out about it, because, like, you know, this had happened with Anne Boleyn, like, oh my god, what is he gonna do for me? Do to me. I'm sorry. Uh, but surprisingly, Henry didn't get mad at her. It's It was almost like it never happened. Like, I, I never read any reaction that Henry had to this first miscarriage. Maybe he, like, didn't even know about it, and she's just hoping she could get pregnant again or something. Whatever. Uh, which... Luckily, she did get pregnant again, so crisis averted! Yay! Okay, so one thing I want to mention before we get into Edward's birth is an incident that happened while Jane was probably only a few weeks into her second pregnancy. So, picture it. It's late 1536, and suddenly a huge rebellion called the Pilgrimage of Grace starts in the north. And these rebels basically want Henry to restore the old church, so naturally Henry's response was like, <laughs> nope. And uh, he was super hard on them. Uh, but Jane, you know, she was a naturally compassionate person. She really sympathized with them. After all, she was still technically Catholic, and she'd been raised that way, so, like, it's, it's, it's not weird that uh, she would have been sympathetic towards them. So, one day, uh, she got down on her knees in front of everyone while Henry was sitting on his throne and basically begged Henry to please be lenient with them and be merciful. And Henry, oh, he did not take this well. He exploded. He ordered her to get up from her knees and come with him. Now, I bet you're wondering, why on earth? Would Jane do this? Now, it's actually pretty standard in this time period for queens to ask kings to be merciful because of gender roles. You know, queens were kind and nice and merciful. But it wasn't just something that you did. Like, it was an agreed-upon thing. Like, someone like someone from Henry's, like, council would be like, oh, it would be a good idea for you to do this. Or, like, it was something you agreed on with the king being like, oh, I really don't want to kill these people. So, like, could you ask me for mercy so that I can look good? But Jane just did it of her own, oh, what's the word? Virility? She did it by herself. Uh, but the thing is, Jane didn't know that this wasn't a thing that you did by yourself. She hadn't raised been raised to be a queen she didn't know this so henry flipped on her and he said something that literally gives me chills to my bones actually a lot of things quoted between jane and henry chill me to my bones because he was really scary with her now i don't have the direct quote 
because I couldn't find it, but essentially he told her to remember what happened to the last queens who meddled in his affairs. That is a fucking direct threat. And from then on, she basically never participated in politics again, which is, you know, fair, since he literally directly threatened her life, considering the last two wives he had were divorced and abandoned, and the second one had had her head chopped off. So, like... (laughs) threat um after that whole thing uh she slipped on some royal mommy pajamas and decided to focus on her baby from here on out uh now by mid 1537 jane was blowing up like a balloon balloon which meant everything was going pretty smoothly uh but i i read she actually had some weird pregnancy cravings like during while she was pregnant uh one of her cravings was quail which is like a small bird. It's sort of like a turkey, but like like a little smaller. Um, and Henry had like a whole box brought in just for Jane, which, you know, is kind of nice of him, but like he's still a shitbag. Anyway, uh, by September, Jane was in her confinement, you know, ready to give birth. Uh, we've talked a bit about confinement before. Basically, you know, you sit in your room with the windows closed, some tapestries on the walls to provide you with that sky daddy magic. <laughs> and you just wait for your due date. Uh for you to go into labor and jane eventually did go into labor on the evening of october 9th and oh my god it was a fucking nightmare you know it reminds me of uh you know the birth scene in twilight when bella is giving birth to ronesme that's what i imagine it was like if i had to paint a picture for it uh the baby the baby was stuck for like two days and three nights and jane pushed she really tried but you know it reached a point where the doctors thought that it was either the baby or jane and um i've read that henry was basically like save the baby if it comes down to it which makes me want to fight henry dude fuck you oh my god like (laughs) henry's on my list of historical figures that i want to fight one-on-one like meet me in the streets it's going down fight (laughs) Um, and if I were to fight Henry, I think it would go a little something like this. I'd be like, and this is for Jane, and this is for both Anne's, and this is for all three Catherine's, you piece of shit. And, you know, then I'd probably, like, curb stomp him or something. Oh, that's something I just wish I could do, because it's just such a piece of shit. Anyway, uh, back to it, because there's no need to unpack all of my unsolicited rage at Henry VIII. Uh, finally, on October 12th, which is the day before my birthday, at 9 in the morning, Jane gave birth to the long-awaited male heir. Now, I believe uh, he was actually born on the feast day of St. Edward, which is why he was named Edward. I'm sure if he hadn't been, he definitely would have been named Henry, so like, thank God he was born on the 12th, because he who needs more Henry's? Um, now, after this, there's probably this, like, misconception that Jane just, like, died right after she gave birth to Edward, but that's not actually the case. She was totally expected right after she gave birth to Edward to make a full recovery. Like, there was no reason anyone thought that she was going to die. She received guests after Edward was born. She was signing letters for days after Edward, Edward was born. And although she didn't go to the christening, that was very normal. We've talked about that. She had not been churched yet, so she couldn't go to the christening even even if she had wanted to. But the day after the christening, on the 15th, she started feeling, like, oddly sick. And, you know, she was bleeding a little bit from her... But, um, you know, it passed. So they were like, oh, it's all right. But on the 19th, uh, all those symptoms came back with a vengeance. And this time, the doctors were like, oh, 
she's not going to make it. Like, we can't fix this. And she unfortunately ended up dying on the 24th of October, 1537, at Hampton Court Palace with Henry by her side, unfortunately. Now, after Jane died, she was actually the only one of Henry VIII's wives to get a proper funeral fit for a queen. Uh, but, like, the funny thing is, when they were trying to plan her funeral, they actually, like, they didn't know what to do for a queen's funeral because they hadn't had one in years, they basically had to dig up old plans from Henry VIII's mom's funeral, Elizabeth of York, because uh, she was the last person to get a pro proper queen's funeral uh, in, like, 25 years, and no one knew how to go about it, so they had to look at what they did last time. Um, Jane's son, Edward, uh, went on to succeed Henry as Edward VI when he was nine years old, which must have been traumatic for him. You know, we'll talk about him a little bit someday when we get to his sisters Elizabeth and Mary. Um, now, despite regents, including Jane's brother, ruling for Edward for most of his short reign, you know, Edward seems like a good kid. I actually watched this, like, documentary on him, like, a couple of days ago. Like, I think Jane would have been really proud of her son, because he was, like, he was really sweet and nice, like, she was, and he seemed really pragmatic, like, especially when, when he got a little older, like, when he was, like, a teenager, like, he seemed like, I feel like if he lived, he would have been a pretty good king, in my opinion, but unfortunately, Edward died only age 15 with no children, so, uh, his half-sister, uh, uh, Mary, got to be queen, and obviously, Elizabeth I got to be queen after her, so, you know, we never know what would have actually happened if Edward had really been king for a long time. Um, Speaking of kings, um, Henry. Let's talk about how he felt after Jane's death. Now, he was really never the same after Jane died. Uh, he didn't marry again for another three years, and the only reason he ended up marrying again was because his government thought it was necessary. Like, just in case Edward died, he needed another son. Um, so he ended up marrying Anne of Cleves, which we'll talk about her someday. I'm sure in the next couple of weeks I'll probably get to her. Who knows? Um, Henry would remember Jane for the rest of his life as the best of all six wives. And when he died in 1547, he was buried next to her, which should be cute, but I still hate him. Um, all right, now let's get into legacy. So I think Jane is considered, you know, the boring wife because Henry made her so damn saintly after he died that most people just became disinterested in telling her story because she did everything right. She was a good queen. She gave Henry the son he wanted. And, you know, that's what she did. And, you know, that, that's not interesting, right? Like, why would you want to do everything right when you could be like Anne Boleyn and get executed, right? Um, um, you know, in my opinion, I think her, the idea of her being smart and sneaky, but also like pious and kind are like two aspects of her personality that can coexist. Uh, we can't exactly act like she was perfect because like, I'm sure she like schemed a little bit to get where she was with Henry. Uh, but, uh, I think she was also, like, a pretty good person, but I also don't think we should underestimate her abilities, uh, based on what Henry is making us remember about her, because we all know that man was a big, fat fucking liar. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode, uh, about Gene Seymour. I hope you guys all have a great day wherever you're listening from. Bye! 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.